Hello and welcome to another of Political Yeti's politics podcast, Three Men in a Pub, Easter Special Part 2. I'm James Miller and I'm joined, as I was in Part 1, uh, by John Walker, political editor for the Birmingham Post and the Birmingham Mail, and by Matt Weathers, digital local newspaper supremo and multi-podcaster. Is your business card? Yeah, it's a very, very long one. I'll get in my wallet. Uh, and hopefully we will not be joined by a jazz band tonight. Come to the pub instead. We've got some background music, but I think I can deal with that. Um, did we all have a good Easter? I had a lovely Easter, I ate lots of chocolate. Did you decorate an egg? I didn't decorate eggs, but um, I was mentioning my niece and my nephew. They're only seven years old. We had an Easter egg hunt in the garden. They found oh, yeah. Easter eggs, and uh, I made them give some to me. They ate them. Uh, not sure that's quite the spirit of Easter. Oh, it's very tasty. Yeah, okay. Uh, Matt, did you enjoy the, the piece of Easter? Yeah, very peaceful. Um, myself and the other half attempted on Easter Sunday to go for a lengthy walk through uh, Epping Forest. Got about two hours in, got very lost, called an Uber. Nice one. Epping Forest uh, constituency of Eleanor Lang, of course. Oh, that that's right? fresh that information right? to me. I, I, so. I didn't check that. I was so. fucking everything uh, else. Surely every, every constituency you go to, every time you go somewhere with a constituency name, you think, who's the MP for here? Are you do that? It's just me? Am yeah. I just that much of a wonk? Okay. Um, yeah, did, I say did you enjoy the piece? Because um, we're going to have a war, aren't we? That's the main well, news this week. Almost certainly. Are I mean, we going to have World War Three? We may not have World War Three, but we are going to have an attack on uh, Syria. Donald Trump's made it very clear that the missiles are going to be flying. Has he made it clear? He had, well, he has. He, he said he tweeted it, yeah. Well, he also said that that man from North Korea was a ridiculous rocket man. He was going to blow him up, and now he's going to go and meet him. He didn't, so, he didn't literally say that he was going to launch missiles at North Korea, but he has said that about Syria. He was going to rain fire and fury on North Korea, and now he's going to go and meet him. I mean, maybe he's going to rain fire and fury when he meets him. He's tricked Kim Jong-un. Maybe so. I, I think that we are going to find in the next few days that there is some sort of attack on Syria and the French will be involved and the UK will be involved in some way. How seriously should we take Donald Trump's tweets? Well, um, I suppose the difference was with the, the, the fire and the fury and the little rocket man stuff, it was very much couched in ifs and buts and, and whens. He, he's been um, absolutely unambiguous on the action that he said that he would take uh, following the chemical gas attack in, in Syria. I know with, with Trump it's always better to judge him by what he does rather than what he says. Um, but the uh, lack of ambiguity in his tone on this and the fact that he was so critical of Obama of uh, allowing Assad to cross red lines in the past uh, means he's, he's boxed himself in on this. Are you as uh, sanguine as John about the potential for World War Three? No, I don't think World War III. Why it's not? A, it's going to be World War III. It's a, it's he's going to bomb them, and then the Russians have said they're going to bomb his boats that he launches the missiles from. How do we get out of this without World War III? I, I think that um, people will probably rein themselves in. This is, there's not going to be a fresh war. There's going to be interventions in a war that's already going on where whose proxies are whose is incredibly complicated and, and fluid. So I don't, I don't think we should, um, you know... Uh, try to caricature this as something that it's not not that I'm suggesting it's not a very very serious situation big show it's a big show you're saying not it's going to be World War 3 you might be a hostage to fortune I, I cannot see how we get out of it without World War 3 it is, he's going to blink it is true as you say that the Russians have said they will bomb the 
that they will attack the source of any missiles, yeah. which would probably mean uh, American warships uh, yeah. have launched the missiles. You just have, well, I don't believe the Russians are really going to do that. You think the Russians will blink? I, I think that as long as Trump takes care not to hit any Russian assets, as in sort of military advisors or what they call military advisors, Russian soldiers, yeah. who are, who are oh, I think they have an air base out there, but anyway, as long as it doesn't actually hurt the Russians directly, I don't think they're going to attack an American warship. Well, let's face it, none of us are military analysts. No. But you're basically on a hundred, aren't we? I don't know. I think what we do know, what's pretty clear at Westminster is that there is going to be some sort of action and it's believed that Theresa May is going to involve the UK in some form, and maybe in a very minor way really, uh, without a vote in Parliament. She's going to decide to hat and uh, just take action without asking a piece for no permission, which would be a break from what's happened in the recent past. Only in the recent past. Yes. I mean, that doesn't matter. The, the government does have the power to do that, but recently Prime Ministers have Asked MPs for permission before taking military action. But it looks as if that won't happen this time. I mean, they've asked Ed Miliband for permission recently. Maybe that's what she needs to do. Just go straight to Ed's. Because <laughs> he's nixed all the other attempts in recent years, isn't he? Um, well, I, I'm not so sure about this. I mean, I'm quite sanguine about World War Three because presumably we were on the same side as the Americans and they'll win. So it's alright if we have World War Three with the it? Well, I mean, it's certainly, win. Uh, certainly the. Uh, the Russian military doesn't look that it's as strong as it may appear on on, on the face of it. Uh, that said, if it is World War Three, yeah, I mean, no one's listening to this. Well, that is that is true. I suppose this might, yeah, this isn't going to be all that's left of civilization. But Russia's rubbish. That's the bottom line. That's why they keep going around causing mischief and poisoning people on door handles and all this sort of stuff because they're actually pretty pathetic. They couldn't have a problem. Yeah, that's right. I call the Russians pretty pathetic. Bring it. Put some poison on my door. Well, we I am going to take that risk. We often hear this. People say, well, the Russians' economy is, I think, the size of Italy's or something. Yeah, it's not a large welfare. economy compared to ours. Yeah. Their military is meant to be in a bad shape. Yet they do seem to be quite good at projecting power overseas, which is uh, the mark of having a strong military. I mean, they are able to make a difference in Syria. And uh, which, which is... Even for a country like the UK, it's hard for us, without a lot of support from America, to actually do anything overseas. So Russia seems to manage it. Well, so if you're talking about Russian mischief and isolationism and British influence, oh, smoothly that takes us on to um, Brexit, because, you know, we always have to talk about Brexit, right? And the big development in Brexit this week, which is, well, there's been two, right? First one I think we need to discuss with Matt, which is Brexit FM. The new radio station, which you reviewed for the new European. Yeah, I mean, not actually its name. No, what's it called? <laughs> well, you, but according to your review, even the DJs don't know what its name is. No, it's well, it, it's called um, United DJs, although its web address is United DJ, yeah. and the jingles and what the uh, what the presenters say veer between the two, so they've not decided whether the DJ is plural or not. I mean, I have to say, it was a truly terrible piece of writing on the basis that the station clearly sounds awful and yet it made me want to listen to it <laughs> like, this sounds hilariously bad yeah. so bad is it not so bad it's good it's not no it's just bad um yeah i i well there's an interview in the times at the weekend with tony prince who is Who's tony prince tony prince is i i've never heard of him um he is uh, the royal ruler was the name he went under when he was a presenter uh, back in the day on 
Radio Luxembourg and Radio Caroline. Basically, him and a lot of his old friends from the 70s got together to talk about how rubbish radio is these days. Now they're not on it. Well, it is. And, uh, well, you know, arguably radio's more, more vibrant than it ever has been. Their, their, their problem really does appear to be... No, no there's one... not, enough, not enough darts on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there has been, actually. Five Pipeline's been broadcast in the final of the BBC. Right, not enough darts-based quiz games on the radio. <laughs> um, so they got together and they've launched um, an internet-only radio station called United DJ. Now, Johnny Blinz has called it uh, the Brexit station, and he said it's because they will be reaching out and making friends across the world. So it's very much like the um, the Liam Fox shibboleth that this that this is what Brexit's all about. Uh, when in fact it seems to be like Brexit in that it's mainly a bunch of angry old white men who don't really like the way that the last 40 years have gone. Uh, so yeah, I listened to it on Monday for a grand total of eight and a half hours. Oh, it's a hard job you've got. Oh, what are the editors saying? I've got to listen to the radio for eight hours, Matt. Oh no, I've got to listen to the radio I mean, for I did, eight hours. I did actually have to do work. Oh, <laughs> I didn't just, oh, right. I didn't just lie oh. on the sofa. Uh, my favourite thing was the, the different... You know in the old days of newspapers, you would have just I would have been allowed to do that, and I would have, I would have got huge expenses for my, uh, my food jingle. My favourite, um, uh, uh, Tony Prince, he introduces himself as the royal ruler, but it's not the only uh, self-bequeathed sobriquet he employs. Uh, he referred to himself in the broadcast also as the princely platter player and the, the prince on the planet of peachy platters. Platters. The princely platypus. Platter player. Make more sense. Platters. Platters. Pla- this is what this is what uh, DJ for their generation. What smashing no, 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 records? Oh, so do the, the, so you've got people on the station like um, uh, Mike Reed and Diddy David Hamilton, David Travis, all he's of them. still alive? On his station? Yeah, yeah oh, he's, wow. he's got them all okay. in. Um, and they, yeah, they refer to records as platters. Individual songs are called numbers. This yeah. is how they talk. I said, I said they don't call them platters because the T's in these mid-Atlantic voices become D's. Oh, yes. So he's the princely platter player. Oh, like, yeah. well, I mean, you mentioned that, obviously. Uh, you know, none of them are dads and daughters in the famous words of Alan Partridge. I was impressed that you managed to review it without mentioning Partridge once. But it sounds... Very Alan Partridge. It's very, it's very Partridge, very much. It's very smashy and nice. I thought I'd avoid that as a, as a, as a bit of a, as a bit of a cliche, but um, it is very much like that. It, it, not just the language, but the fact that these are people who are very much struggling with the twenty-first century. They just don't like it, really. It's not for them. Um, you mentioned the Fox shibboleths. Um, that's the other big Brexit development. I mean, just drink this in. Liam Fox is international development. International. Trade Minister, and his shadow is Barry Gardner. Barry Gardner. Liam Fox and Barry Gardner. <laughs> I mean, if that's not the Laurel and Hardy of UK <laughs> politics, I don't know what is. Um, but Barry Timothy Claypool, badass Baz, uh, was he BB, the notorious BBG or something? Yes, Jesus. Oh, I don't know. Anyway, uh, I prefer the Timothy Claypool, has been saying things, right, John? Well, big, big Baz, first of all, he's, he talks about the Good Friday Agreement as being a, a shibber, uh, which usually refers to something which is out of date that people cling on to even though they don't need to. I don't think this is fair, because I would use it in the sense that he used it, and I think I have used it in columns past in the sense that he's used it as just something sort of important. No, I'm not it, it, that. It's not the other bit, which is also out of date. But if, if, 
I mean, if you, look at, if you look at the whole of what he said, I mean, whatever exactly you meant by that word, he was saying that uh, Ireland and Northern Ireland could cope with a hard border. He said a hard border would not be a big deal. Yeah. That was the argument he was making. It's basically, because he's clearly a Brexiteer, somebody who really believes in this nonsense. Oh, no. And um, he, the point he was making was that we shouldn't fear leaving the customs union in the single market, and we should ignore the people who are saying leaving yeah. the customs union will lead to a hard border in Northern Ireland and cause all sorts of trouble. That, that was his argument. It was a pro-Brexit argument. And saying just ignore the people who worry about the impact it would have on the Northern Ireland peace process. Yeah, I mean, I was going to defend him on the basis that he either didn't know the meaning of shibboleth mm. or had used it in a different sense. And maybe it's a Scottish sense, because of course Barry is a Scottish man. Um, I don't think it's a Scottish word, though, in fairness. No, then it turned out that he'd also said the Labour Brexit test were bollocks and Ireland could basically go whistle. And it's yeah. like, yeah, there's no really defending him here, is there? No, he's, no, no. I defend him. Big Baz got it right. He told the truth. Good for him. He said Labour's Brexit policy was bollocks, and it is. Uh, specifically, he, he was talking about the idea that you can leave the single market and still keep all the benefits of being in the single market. And he, because that's one of the tests that Labour has set yes. out. Yes, they want exactly the same, no detriment to what we have now. Nothing Absolutely. less than what we have now. Um, while simultaneously leaving the single market. Yes. And he was saying that's a load of bollocks because it's impossible. And he's right. And good, good for him for saying so. I mean, should just should just say, it's not just Labour's policy that's bollocks. In this regard, the Tory, the government policy, is exactly the same. So yes. they're both bollocks, not just Labour. But good for him for telling the truth. You a Barry Gardner fan, No. Um, I, I agree with all of that. Uh, he was right. It, it, it clearly is bollocks. Everybody accepts that. But he only told the truth when he thought he was amongst friends and nobody was recording. Um, because he is an absolute cast-iron loyalist when he's, when he's in a TV series. This is why he is uh, he's loved by the, the Corbynista grassroots, because he, he will go out and give broadcasters absolute heaven. He takes the Trumpian playbook of questioning every journalist's motives. He will go into the Today studio, or I think I, I wrote this morning, or, or go on to Peston, or go on to Kiss FM, whatever, and he will he will turn it around to what's driving you, you know. And that's what they really like. It, so I, I wouldn't give him any credit for speaking the truth on the one occasion when um, he thought that it wasn't going to, to leave the room, although I do agree he was correct. He doesn't but, believe it, though, does he? He's not really a, a, a Eurosceptic. Well, he, he just says whatever. He was a nailed on Blair on back in the day. Say, yeah, absolutely he moved to yeah, Gordon Brown, who famously sacked him, and then he got the arm. So I had to invent the position of envoy for trees to, <laughs> to hang around the, the government. And now he's a corporate But this is what a lot of Labour activists say. They say, why can't these Blairites just support Jeremy Corbyn? Now, in Barry Gardner, you've got a man who was a Barry loyal, Gardner supports Barry Gardner. A loyal Blairite, and then the left took control of the party, and all of a sudden he became a loyal left winger. And, and what more can he want? Well, somebody with of guts, uh, integrity, yeah, integrity intellectual for, yeah. coherence. <laughs> I, mean, yeah, I don't know how much he cares about the forests when he was forest envoy. Wasn't he the one who... Um, well, that's right, he got... The story was, I don't know how true it is, he didn't get sacked, or at least Gordon Brown forgot to tell him that he was sacked, and he only found out when he turned up to death row and his past didn't work. But he yeah. found that he put well, up Gordon Brown and said, I can't get in the building, Gordon. Well, that's because I sacked you yesterday. Sorry about that. What I, what I love most about this was... When it was discovered that he said the policy was borrowed, 
Labour just issued a press statement saying, no, he doesn't, he supports it totally. Yeah, <laughs> that was that. That was the other problem with the whole business. Was that he, yes, he said, I didn't say that, that's made up. And then the recording appeared, anyway. Or I did He said it was nonsense on still, didn't he? That was a shibboleth one, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, even, even after the recording, even after it was all out there, Labour's response was just say, no, no, actually, he supports us totally. Oh, dear. I do it just shows that they, you know, they think, we were talking about Chris Graydon last time being a kind of Minister for Today programme. They think that he can be trusted to go onto programmes and not only uh, state the uh, uh, Corbynite position, but he will absolutely go for uh, journalists. Yeah. And they love it. They absolutely love it every time he does that. And that's when these memes, these big bad things appear, when they think that, you know, when he's having a pop at Laura Coonsberg or something, uh, to, why don't you ever hold the Tories to account on that kind of, you know, yeah. pushing Theresa May's agenda? They, they absolutely love that. So, uh, and they don't have, Corbyn's not got enough people who can do that. You know, this raises, uh, forgive me, I, it's a bit of a side issue here, but just. For me personally, one of the most interesting things in politics recently has been the fact that everybody, but especially the left, and also the Sunny Centre Brexit have decided they hate the BBC. It used to oh. be Rupert Murdoch and the Sun, they all hated, but yeah. now it's the BBC. What does the BBC fans upset everybody? Um, they played, played a straight back. Yeah. It's, to be fair, when you say everybody, they've mainly upset Lord Adonis. Well, no, they, Lord Adonis, yes. He's upset more than anybody else, I think. Well, no, but also, Corbynites. Well, I know. BBC. But Lord Adonis is particularly upset about Brexit and going on well, and yeah. on and on about as is Alistair Campbell. I uh, think when people uh, say, whether they be Brexiteers, Corbynites, whatever, when they say that they just want a BBC that tells it as it is, they mean a BBC that tells it as we see it is. Yeah. Mm, yeah. It's the BBC can't win. They always go, what is, you know, the Daily Mail thing, what is this terrible filth of the BBC? It's like, well, turn over to BBC 4 and you'll find something completely different. Or Radio 4, you know, there's such a wide range. It's a cliche to say, but the very fact that the BBC gets a chat from all sides suggests that they are broadly getting it right, in my opinion. Uh, Lord Adonis, I have to say, is particularly disappointing because monomania with the BBC now because I always say yeah. he, was the, he was everything that was bad about politics was that he should be Prime Minister because he's wise and thoughtful and great and yet you get him, never get elected because he was too wonky um, and now he's just acting a bit mad and it's like and those of us who are Remainers we wanted somebody to be a sort of champion of the Remains and he, he was come across as a crazy man yeah he, he was only from the government role, as I recall. Yes, he was an infrastructure king. Yeah, so he, he could do that, but play that role. Yeah. But he turned out to be a bit mad. Um, just on Barry Gardner, I mean, there's a wealth of Barry Gardner tales, isn't there? I mean, obviously, there's the appearing in Rent to Ghost when he was a younger man. <laughs> um, the fact that. And uh, was it his father or grandfather played for the Great Britain team at the Commonwealth Games. Oh wow! Back in the day. The Great Britain in what? In what? In football. A football. Did we not have an England team? son plays for Zenit St. Petersburg. I know it must have been Scotland that his dad or his granddad played for. That's definitely correct about Zenit St. Petersburg. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, played. I'm not, I don't know how, how well, often I think he he's, gets yeah, a, I, I don't think he's a, a first name on the team sheet. But, you know, whatever happened to Barry? Why did he not inherit the footballing gene? Wasn't his... Also, he, he intended to enter the priesthood yes. before uh, making a turn for politics. Which is why he was using shibboleth in the biblical sense. Yes, no, he did know what he meant. Well, no, he, he used it in a, a strict biblical sense. Oh, okay. So that is slightly yeah. different to the, the the general usage that it has now, apparently. I, I wouldn't know. I mean, I don't know what other words he uses in the biblical sense. I mean, that's a, that's a get-out for lots of things, isn't it? Oh, I meant it in the biblical sense. Um, 
talking of the promised land, John, Birmingham. Uh, <laughs> make the most of that because I'm not going to say anything more nice about Birmingham. Um, Theresa May's been to Birmingham today. Yeah. Because Birmingham voted for the Tories, she turned up and gave it a lot of money. Uh, Birmingham is to host the 2022 Commonwealth Games. Yeah, because nobody uh, else would. Uh, partly because nobody else would. Um, and the government. Uh, I mean, that's typical of Birmingham. It's like the place you can go when you won't go anywhere else. You've know, got nowhere else to go. To well, you say that, but a lot of people would like to host it. brings in lots of money and no, no, no. And a lot of people don't want to host it. That's why it's in Birmingham. And uh, Theresa May uh, announced that she was the government was going to provide £70 million to uh, renovate uh, the Alexander Stadium, which is going to be an athletic stadium. Uh, however, um, if you look at the small print, we actually don't know how much of that money the government is going to provide and how much the government is going to tell local taxpayers to provide. Yeah. Um, that's actually hidden away somewhere. So um, also, while she was there, she met with some local young athletes and... Um, that's where she gave a statement to the BBC about Syria, too. It's a bit cheap, isn't it? Cheap. Birmingham, Birmingham voted Tory, voted for a Tory mayor, voted in a few Tory MPs. She bowls up and goes, pats him on the head and just says, here's some money. It's a bit tacky, isn't it? It's a bit Danny Alexander. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I mean... You don't know. The, 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 <laughs> it the, is, isn't it? West Midlands Conservative Mayor Andy Street helped to lead the campaign to get the Commonwealth Games alongside Birmingham City Council, which is a Labour-led council. Um, it wasn't a very hard campaign because nobody else wanted it. There is, a, there is a belief that the government is quite receptive to yeah. Andy Street and willing to listen to oh. what he says. But good for him. Um, how many athletic stadiums does this country need? We've got one in London. There must be one in Manchester left over from the Commonwealth Games. Well, you've got you've got more than one in London because you've got in um, Stratford an athletic stadium pretending to be a football yes. stadium rather unsuccessfully. Well, which which bit's unsuccessful? The, 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 the being a <laughs> football bit, yeah. The being a football stadium bit. Uh, we've got obviously Glasgow hosted the Commonwealth Games uh, four years ago. I mean, I know they they turned the stadium back into that was Hamden. They turned it back, but you know they obviously can do it. So. Do you need another one in Well, I mean, is it intended to be there permanently, or is it going to be one that they'll find? Because obviously when, when Manchester had the Commonwealth Games, they, in that case, very successfully turned yeah, into a football stadium. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be, it's an existing um, athletic stadium, it's really there now. It's going to be revamped and improved, and they're going to add, I think, about 20,000 seats temporarily, but uh, then they get taken away again after the Games. And what's the point? At the end of the day, right, we had the London Olympics, which were amaze balls, yeah. and nobody did any more sport because Michael Gove likes chess better than sport. <laughs> so he took all the money out of sport. We had the Commonwealth Games in Glasgow, and we've seen the figures come out recently showing nobody's doing any more sport because of it. And now we're going to have Commonwealth Games in Birmingham. Probably they're going to suddenly start running around the place, are they? I'm the wrong person. I, I'm completely uninterested in myself. All right. But it's a political but thing. They, 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 they go, oh, we're gonna be, it's going to be more, there'll be a legacy. There's no legacy for these things. Brings in money, brings in tourism, and it gets the city on the telly all across the world. And, and then it gets all a bit of publicity and helps the city. And then what? Well, the experts say that it's good for the local economy. Yeah, the experts who get paid a fortune to write stuff for the bid document, right? 
You put in Norwich today, Matt. Why did Norwich bid for the Commonwealth Games? That'd be good. I'm not sure Norwich has got the facilities for the Commonwealth Games. Um, oh, there's Birmingham, but they've got a ton of money to do it. Why can't Liz Trust? But she's flipping chief secretary of the Treasury. She could get loads of money. Liverpool attempt to get these 2020 yeah. games. Yeah, oh, it was Liverpool bit. versus Birmingham, but I don't think Liverpool were trying that hard. It was supposed to be in South Africa, but they... They ran out of money, so they would have to put it somewhere else. Yeah. And then Liverpool's all went, oh, I will do it if you really want, and then to make it look like a bit of a contest, so that Birmingham could dance around and go, oh, look, we beat someone. I mean, there was clearly a legacy of London, didn't there? It just wasn't a sporting legacy, which was never going to happen. You know, a, a, a government which has sold off school playing fields to secure yeah. a, an extent. It was, well, you know, um, in terms of the infrastructure that part of East London to walk around it uh, and see how it's changed, you can't, you know, just there is clearly a legacy there. i tell you the legacy, the main legacy of the Olympics is utter despair at how amazing this country was in 2012 and where we are now. Whether you're Brexit or Remain, you know, we are clearly split, pessimistic, Dispirited. Not for long. Liam It'll Fox over, and Barry Gardner shadow each other. You know, ah. Oh. You got less than a year to go before Brexit actually happens, and then I think everybody's just going to turn around and say, "Well, it's not that bad. Not as bad as I feared." I mean, the debate will be over. Nobody. After we've left, how many I'm people are really going to say, "Let's go back"? Oh, come on. Be Imagine if Tony Blair been prime minister in 2012. Imagine the springboard the Olympics would have been to invading somewhere, <laughs> doing good around the world, right? Wow. Well, all right. I'll, well, we'll wait and see, won't we? Where will the Birmingham Games be? The, what are they going to be? They're going to be the Games of Hope or the Games of Love or the Games uh, of people games speaking of, funny with Brummie accents? Uh, probably Games of Diversity, really. All right. It will lead to a lot of investments and regeneration in the very far area of the city Birmingham, although... Some cynical people might say, well, maybe you could just do that anyway yeah. without even hosting the games. Yeah. Well, yeah. What, like you, John? No, I would never. Say. Oh, okay. Well, I just I remembered um, the other day. I haven't actually watched any of the other massive sports, and I've not watched a second of the, the Commonwealth Games. No. But I, I recall that um, many years ago, I wrote a column for uh, Wales on Sunday, I was writing for at, at the time. Um, saying, you know, what pointless anachronism post-evolution the Welsh Affair Select Committee was, and compared it to uh, the Commonwealth Games in, in yeah. terms of things that really shouldn't exist anymore. And um, an MP quoted me um, in the in the Commons, I'm um, bearing Hansard now, but completely mistaking the point I was trying to make and saying that, uh, that one commentator had compared us to that most august of institutions, the Commonwealth Games. They've completely, uh, completely got the wrong end of the stick, but it's, it's there forever now. Have you been quoted in Hansard, John? No, I don't think so. Oh, I have. Bad luck. Um, <laughs> you've been doing this longer than either of us. You need to work on that. Yeah. Um, well, better than that, you've been on this podcast, John. That's better. That, that'll last for <laughs> eternity. Uh, as long as you keep playing your SoundCloud subscription. Yes, and assuming there's not World War Three. <laughs> Look at that, there's a callback right back to the beginning again. That was planned that all along. Um, right, well, assuming there's not World War Three, we will say thank you to John Walker. Thank you to Matt Withers. Um, Come in, tune in next week for a Brexit Breakdown podcast from UK to Changing Europe. I'll be back in two weeks with a political Yeti politics podcast from Westminster uh, and with an MP and I'll definitely get a woman on that podcast. 
and you can see me live and in the flesh at the Cambridge Literary Festival this weekend uh, in an event at, at 4.30 on Sunday, a debate about gender stuff and suffragettes and all that sort of thing, um, where I'm appearing with a stellar lineup and I'm very much um, the least bright star in the lineup. But still, come along, it'll be good if you happen to be in Cambridge or near Cambridge. Um, look it up in the Cambridge Literary Festival programme. And uh, yeah, if you want to contact me in the meantime, I'm at Political Yeti on Twitter. I am politicalyeti at gmail.com on the email. And uh, tune in next week for a Brexit breakdown in two weeks for another Political Yeti's politics podcast. Thank you.